Good morning. My name is Spencer Brose, and I'm the lead pastor here at St. Stephen's Church. It's a blessing to be here with you as we gather to worship, to praise God in the presence of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, whether you're in the space here with us or you're in the virtual space here with us. It's a blessing to be here with you today. On the second Sunday of Easter, Easter is not just a single day event. It is an ongoing reality in the church. We reflect that by making a whole season. It's every Sunday is a Sunday of Easter all the way up until Pentecost, sometime late in May. So we continue exploring the resurrection and its impact on our lives and living in hope as a reflection of it. And as we do so, we're going to spend time in a book that I, I know I don't often spend a lot of time in. It's the book we call First Peter. It was a letter that Peter wrote to a community, uh, to a church in Asia Minor, what we call Turkey today. And it has a lot to say about living in hope. They're living in hope, though, in the midst of times of struggle. So before I get ahead of myself and give away too much, we're going to read from that letter a little bit today and continue doing so um, over the next several weeks, except for next week, which is you Sunday. But other than that, we're going to spend some more time in 1 Peter. And by the way, I look this way because I know it's, this is what people at home are seeing. The one on the screen doesn't always match up with what I have in here. So when I look over there and I hear just, just a little behind the scene moment anyway. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Does anybody know what we call the first Sunday after Easter besides the second Sunday of Easter? That's the official title of this day. What do, do anybody, what we refer to this day as? You can say it if you know it. Low Sunday. Low Sunday. It actually has a historical uh, meaning, and we don't know exactly where it came from, but in the Middle Ages, well, through the Middle Ages, Easter, not only was it a season, but they celebrated Easter for an entire week, for seven days, from Sunday through the next Saturday. They celebrated Easter. It wasn't just a meal at Grandma's house after church. It was the whole week. All of the uh, fasting, the prohibitive fasting that they had done, um, they, were, they were making up for lost time. 
Also, during that period was when they baptized new converts to the Christian faith. They, they saved up all year. And everybody throughout that whole week, they were having worship services all week long during that time. And then that next Sunday, they sang a song that began praise, but in Latin it was laud. And they think, they don't know, but they think that low comes from laud, um, meaning praise. In the North American modern church, however, we have taken that name low Sunday to mean the low attendance, low energy Sunday after Easter. The struggles of the North American church, modern church. And that's one of the things that, that is, part, is part of the reality. Of, although this, I was, was talking to Pastor Munu during one of the praise songs saying, this is, this is not a low Sunday attendance in the second North American way of saying it. Um, maybe, it is, but it is of the, the medieval and the ancient way of saying it, perhaps. Law to praise, Sunday to praise. But we gather here today after Easter in our after Easter struggles in the North American church. And, and, it, and in many ways, there's a lot of reasons behind it. it happens to be that way in a lot of churches. You know, people that come a few times a year, They've checked the box. The reality is, over the last decade, we have transitioned from accounting people as being active in a church. It used to be if you came three out of four Sundays a month. I guess that fifth Sunday, you whatever. But that used to be counted as an active member, a participant in the life of the church. Now it's one Sunday a month. If you come one Sunday a month, you're considered an active member in the life of the church. I don't love that, but that's just the reality of the way things are. So if you, that's the way somebody's once a month. They check their box for a month and maybe even two. And then, not to mention all the volunteers and the staff folks, I'm tired. My brain's just kicking back into play. It's been, it was a long, and this is not just poor me. No, this is what we do. It's all right. It's just, but it's just, it's the result of what we do. And, and, and our volunteers who, it's not what they, it's not their salary job, but they commit to it. And we're so grateful for it. And all the things that go for it. And, and the adrenaline that propelled us through Easter Sunday fell hard Sunday afternoon. And those are part of our North American after Easter struggles. But what we read about in 1 Peter is the first century Asia Minor after Easter struggles. And it wasn't the Sunday after Easter. This would be for a century or so after Easter. Actually, for a couple more than a couple centuries after Easter. This letter was written to a church that was struggling, not struggling because of low worship attendance or giving, they weren't going to meet the budget or all the things that we count as struggles in the modern church these days. They were struggling because of their faith specifically, not for their faith, but because of their faith. At this time, Nero was the emperor of Rome. They had a fire that burned most of the, well, I don't know most of the city, but a great deal of Rome. And Nero blamed it on the Christians, this fledgling faith. They became the scapegoats for everything. 
And not only because of that, but they, they, they called this person Jesus Lord. Well, only Caesar is Lord. But they wouldn't call Caesar Lord, but they did call Jesus Lord. And they only worshiped one God. And, and Rome had this whole pantheon of gods. And, and while you could, you could pick and choose from their pantheon, you had to at least honor the whole thing. The Christians didn't do that either. The early Christian church lived in constant awareness that everything about their way of life was, was threatened. They were worried about their neighbors turning them in to the local authorities. They were worried about their jobs, their livelihoods. If somebody found out that I followed Jesus, I could lose my, my job, my way of life, my ability to support a family. They could be arrested. Calling someone other than Caesar Lord was treasonous. Could even be put to death, and many were. And this is all despite the fact that Christians were model citizens, even better than the average Roman who followed the pantheon. They did things that no one else would do. They took jobs that no one else would take. Christians were often the only ones who cared for the dead. Bodies discarded, but the Christians saw a person who had lived, whose life had mattered, and they gave that person a decent burial. They rescued orphans. Children were left out on the street to exposure to die if they were unwanted. The Christians would the first orphanages were these, Christian orphanages. They would collect these children and, and save them and raise them. And all this because they believed that life was bigger than what we could see with our own eyes. But others just thought it was odd. So they lived in this constant, under constant threat. Whether it was social in origin by being... Um, you know, outcast, ostracized. They faced verbal and physical abuse, but other than that, or it could go to a whole nother level of imprisonment and even martyrdom, being put to death for their faith. This was the early churches after Easter struggle. And this would go on for a few couple centuries, up until the uh, three, around 300 A.D. Yet the central theme of this letter isn't focusing on their struggles. It's not consoling, it's not commiserating. It points to hope and faith and rejoicing in joy. Did you hear that line in the scripture when we read it? And then we took, if you take out a couple of the, of the descriptor words, there's the, in verse eight, rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. If you take out the, the descriptive words, it just becomes rejoice with joy. Feels weird to say, doesn't it? Or to hear. I'm going to make you say it because I just said it. Say it with me. Rejoice with joy. I, just, I was practicing, so here we go. All right? Sorry. Rejoice with joy. That feel word, you feel the same word in your mouth twice. and you're, It's like in school when your teacher wouldn't let you define a word by using a word in the definition. Yeah? That's what it feels like for me anyway. I don't know. I'm just bringing you along with my own personal stuff, perhaps. So I, I did my word, I'm a word nerd, I'm a nerd about a lot of things, but a word nerd stuff, and went to look at these two words in, in the Greek, and just to understand them. So the rejoicing with joy, the joy is the word joy that we think about. It comes from a Greek word, uh, 
Sounds a little bit like Cara, but more, more phlegm in your throat. So it, it, I, not, I can't do it. I have too many allergy medicines drying up my throat right now. So um, I can't get it the good way. So anyway, but that comes, that's a word that is most often translated as joy. Sometimes it gets to happiness, but it's not happiness. It's not. Uh, and it comes from a, the same word, root word that we get in Greek for grace, which is charis versus kara. Kara is joy, charis is grace. Grace, And it's about this favor extended towards us. So grace is God's, God's, um, God's love, a gift extended towards us. The joy, the kara, is what we feel in response to that gift that's been given to us. It's appreciation, it's, uh, it's contentment, but more than just a contentment, it is an overwhelming feeling of uh, satisfaction, our wholeness in our person. Then the other word, the word that we translate rejoicing, I'm not going to try, there are too many vowels next to each other, but it comes, it is sometimes translated rejoicing, sometimes it's translated filled, Sometimes it's translated exalting, but we don't use that word very much in our world. It comes from two part, parts of the Greek words were um, uh, much or very, and then jump. It's you're so excited that you're jumping. That's exalting. So that's... I was going to try to say the word again. Anyway, I've been practicing, but it's just not going to come. So anyway, but it's so you're so you're so excited about this Kara joy that you can't help but rejoice. And that's what Peter's telling the church here. This is the gift of your salvation, a joy that is present regardless of your outside circumstances. That's more than just this internal thing that we hold on to. But it becomes this outward, invisible excitement about our faith, about this gift of grace, of God's love for us that leads to our salvation. That's what Peter is offering the church, the church under threat, the church that was suffering. It seems that Peter was addressing a bigger question. The church was wondering, how far underground do we go? Are we, do, we, do we hide our faith? What do we do with this? When the benediction is almost a whisper because you're afraid that the folks on the other side of the wall or the street might hear you speaking them. And Peter is giving them words of encouragement to not hide, but to exalt. I'm not going to jump anymore. I'm just, I'm about. And which is really interesting coming from Peter. Peter, who hid his faith, we remember the story of the, of the night of Jesus' arrest prior to his crucifixion. 
Before the arrest, Peter has said, I will never deny you, Jesus. And Jesus says, just wait a minute. <laughs> so three times, Peter denies him, hiding his faith in Jesus. So Jesus, uh, Peter is talking to this church who is faced with threat. He knows a little bit about being faced with threat for following Jesus. And he knows what it feels like when you do. He's saying, don't, you don't, don't hide. You don't need to hide. A church that was merely hoping to survive. Individuals who were just hoping to live. And Peter is saying, you can do more than just be alive. You can thrive. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Doesn't mean about stuff. It means about living with purpose and meaning and that joy that doesn't leave. Even though sometimes we might forget about it. That satisfaction, that wholeness as a gift of God's grace into our lives. So maybe the question that the church was asking was how do we live our faith? How do we live with the joy coming through our lives and our faith because of our current circumstances? And Peter was saying what Mina was, Pastor Mina was teaching, that our joy is not dependent upon our outward circumstances. Sometimes it parallels the outward circumstances. It coincides with great stuff. Our joy does. It walks hand in hand with the great stuff that's going on in our lives. And then there are other times it still walks hand in hand with the bad stuff because it coincides. Regardless of what's going on. We experience that grace as a gift from God. We go all the way back to John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever lives, believes in him shall never die but have everlasting life. I think those words were resounding in Peter's ears as this letter was written. And he was reminding the church that our joy is grounded in that very gift of love. That love that is the answer to life's biggest questions and our best response to our greatest fears. Love that starts with Jesus is given to us, extended towards us. It's love of Jesus who loves us so deeply that it shakes us to the core of our being and loves so deep and profound that we are utterly remade from the inside out, made alive in a way that we had not been before, born anew, born from above. And as Peter said, this is a, res a result of our salvation. It's at the heart of our salvation. It's not only what we're being saved from, it's what we're being saved to do and who we are being saved to be. We are being saved by his love, saved to love others as he loves, saved to live as he lives.
As followers of our risen Savior, our lives aren't always meant to be safe. Now, I say all this knowing that in North American churches, for the most part, most of the things that we experience as a result of our faith are inconveniences. Maybe, maybe a little bit more than an inconvenience. Some individuals experience it more deeply. Other parts of the world, to live your faith outwardly is to live it under threat. But as we live our lives experiencing the different struggles of our lives, they may not be for our faith, but they may be for other things. To knowing that we live them, as, as we live them, the joy of the Lord walks beside us. It is there for us to pick up and to fill us. And as followers of Christ, our lives aren't always meant to be safe and simple. Often it leads to the exact opposite. But regardless of what's going on around us right now, our current circumstances, Peter sends us out into the world to rejoice with an undescribable and glorious joy. Or if you just want to boil it down to rejoice with joy. Rejoice with joy. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your Son, of your grace, of an indescribable love that permeates everything and remakes us from the inside out. Help us to remember your presence with us always. That in the wonderful and great times, we don't forget that you're there. And in the horrible and the bad times, we don't forget that you're there. And all the times in between. To extend upon us this grace that fills us and makes us whole. With this joy, this indescribable joy that never leaves us. Even when we forget it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.